Welcome to an evening of discussion about pedestrian and other non-car transportation, also known as active transportation in the Valley. I would like to introduce the panelists. Krista Beniston is the Director of Zoning and Development for the City of Boardman. Justin Mondock is, the plan is a planner at Eastgate Regional Council of Governments. Rebecca Banks is a downtown resident involved with many Valley activities. And Doris Bullock is coordinator of Stepping Out Mercy Health. Thank you all for being here. I would like each of you to take one minute, please, to introduce yourself and your organization, to tell us why your organization, where appropriate, considers pedestrian the reason your organization considers pedestrian or non-car infrastructure and how you personally use non-car infrastructure. May we start with you, Krista? It's a lot for a minute. I'll try to be quick. Uh, my name is Krista Beniston. Thank you for having me. Um, I work for uh, Boardman Township. I'm sure many of you shop there, complain about the traffic during Christmas there. Um, I don't know if you've walked your bikes too much, but so... As the township, we're really looking for a planning level at trying to see how we can make um, bicycling and pedestrians safer. About the last three years, we've really been doing a lot of planning, data collection, and looking at ways to implement that and kind of see where some of the issues are. Uh, personally, I live in the city of Youngstown, and I walk my dog in Mill Creek Park um, about every day. So very uh, advocate of bicycling and pedestrian and just looking at ways that we can make it safe and accessible for people that have to use it and for people that want to use it more and really just how to make our valley more connected um, and safe. Uh, my name is Justin Mondock. Uh, so Eastgate Regional Council of Governments, we're the Metropolitan Planning Organization for Mahoning and Trumbull Counties. Uh, so what that means is we receive federal and state funding uh, for infrastructure. Some of that gets passed through to our local communities that they use on infrastructure projects. Uh, and some of that stays at our agency that we use for planning activities. Uh, so how our agency kind of factors into, you know, pedestrian infrastructure is, in short, we have to. Uh, there are certain mandates that we have to uh, look into certain modes of transportation. Uh, so we're just kind of doing our due diligence. Uh, but uh, the, the role that I kind of play within the organization is to take a look at how we can do more and go beyond what we're just required to do and think about, you know, who we're planning for and where we're building this infrastructure and make sure it's equitable and happening in the right places and for the right reasons. Hi, everybody. I'm Rebecca Banks. It's so nice to be here with you all tonight, and I thank you for being here to learn more about active transportation. I'm a downtown resident, and I've lived up on Wood Street 10 years, and my main <laughs> mode of transportation is walking. And so I'm very vested in this information and learning more about what is being done. Um, some of the places I do walk to, I've been volunteering at Mercy Health St. Elizabeth for 10 years, and my main way of getting there is walking back and forth all four seasons. So sometimes it's an adventure. And um, right now, sometimes I walk from um, the old St. Edwards up on Redondo. But pretty much a lot of times I go to different meetings and, and community events. And I also use WRTA when I'm able to. So I'm very vested in this information. 
Hi, my name is Doris Bullock, and I'm from Mercy Health, and I'm the Stepping Out Project Coordinator. And basically what my job consists of is offering or providing fitness activities out in the community. So and all of our classes are free. We provide walking segments for people that can't get out and exercise in various areas. These are mainly the underserved areas, but they are available and open to anyone. So basically what we do is we provide Zumba, line dancing, and various things like that, assessments, um, anything that would help with the community. My thing is that I'm a firm believer in health and, and in fitness. So it, with the sidewalks, the way of them not being healthy or strong for, in order for people to walk on them and all broken up, with the sites, we offer them a walking program that they were able to do that. And then I've been working with uh, Sarah on a different committees in order to offer um, walking for the sidewalks where the sidewalks are broken up. And also I've been working with um, Lisa. We went around and put um, signs up into the communities in order to let people know where they can actually walk at. And so get people moving. Thank you. Thank you. Um, those of you on the panel who are involved with uh, where's this Where Sidewalks End initiative, tell us what we're seeing here in the gallery today. Sure, I guess I'll, I'll start. Trisha D'Avignon, who's also here from our staff, uh, was one of the people really kind of helped, I think, instrumental, but just taking photos. Um, we've really been, like I said, kind of looking at infrastructure around the area, you know, sidewalks that are, you know, you just like you said, broken, um, completely covered, you know, ones where you can't even tell where a sidewalk is, you know, where no one has ever, you know, cleared it in 40 years. Um, it's just unsafe. So I think, you know, really looking at how do you highlight some of those issues? And I think looking at, you know, using art as an advocacy tool um, is kind of what we're seeing, you know, getting different people. I love, you know, there's all the amazing artists here, you know, getting all the different perspectives, but just the things that people see and how they notice it. You know, I think a lot of times people don't even notice the sidewalk until you're, you know, you're on it and you've got, you know, a kid or a wheelchair or even, you know, you're just, when you have to step out into traffic to go around something and it just, you know, it's the things that people don't notice. So I think really just highlighting the issues um, and kind of the neglect and just the forgottenness um, through art. Thank you. So I did a little research on the, the, from the Governor's Highway Safety Association about pedestrian safety. I learned that in recent years, the number of pedestrian fatalities in the United States has increased by an alarming 35% to over 6,000, even as the combined number of all other traffic deaths declined by 6%. Ohio saw a 15% increase in pedestrian deaths from 2017 to 2018, which makes us the 13th highest in the nation. There are some risk factors, including poverty, demographic changes, weather, fuel prices. Statistically, a fatal accident is most likely to occur on a local urban street at night at a non-intersection. Um, and there are enhancing fac um, factors such as alcohol or drug use by either the driver or the pedestrian. Um, and also the increased use of SUVs means that um, those accidents are more fatal, more likely to be fatal. And cycling deaths have also skyrocketed. They're up 10% in 2018 to nearly 1,000 a year. 
So Justin and Krista, if you will, please talk about how your organizations are looking at policies on safety. Sure. Uh, I'll jump into this one. Um, so due to the funding that we receive, uh, we do have to follow certain guidelines, and some of those are performance measures. Um, and safety is one of those categories where uh, you, you know, we are responsible for setting those performance measures and also making sure that information is relayed to the state agencies that are also under those same guidelines. Uh, so one of the, the major things we're looking at is, is how can we get to, and you may have heard of some initiatives called Vision Zero or Toward Zero Deaths, um, they're larger, you know, national and state uh, kind of campaigns to make transportation safer. Um, and a lot of what we're seeing, you know, from that aspect is education and outreach. Um, and occasionally you'll see improvements to the way, you know, our physical spaces are designed um, and how we're kind of building the places that we live and travel in. Uh, and that's one of the largest contributors to why transportation is unsafe. Uh, you know, we build wide, straight streets that allow people to speed through them, uh, especially, uh, like you said, um, most crashes are common to occur in urban areas. Uh, at night, that's a function of not having appropriate lighting, appropriate uh, separated kind of facilities for people that are walking or biking or using the streets in any other way outside of a car. Uh, and the other uh, great th point that you brought up is that the trend to buy larger vehicles, I mean, we're feeling a, a whole separate effect with the closure of GM Lordstown because consumer trends, as they say, are trending towards larger SUV-type vehicles and not so much smaller cars. Uh, with SUVs, it's a simple physics equation, force equals mass times acceleration. Uh, the larger vehicle is going to be more dangerous uh, in a collision with a pedestrian. Uh, not to mention you've got a higher point of principal contact uh, should an incident occur. So uh, there's a lot of things kind of at play. Uh, where our agency can step in is being better about the recommendations that we make for safety measures, um, recommending to the Ohio Department of Transportation better projects and better solutions uh, for some of the safety issues that our local communities are bringing up. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, as a township... One of the things that's challenging is, you know, a lot of the local neighborhood roads the township can control. A lot of, you know, your 224, Market Street, South Avenue, those are all controlled by um, the Ohio Department of Transportation. So for, at a state level, they control the speed, what you can do. Part of, I think, is the township role. What we've really discovered is being an advocate for bike and pedestrian safety. Um, so we've really been looking at you know, where are the issues? We did a lot of bike and ped counts. Because first of all, you know, people would say, I think the suburbs get, you know, forgotten. You know, a lot of sidewalks were put in in the 50s, 60s, 70s. But I think after that, you know, no one say Boardman. You know, we're a suburb. We don't want sidewalks. And now you're seeing the trend where, you know, people want to walk. They have to walk to get to a job, to get to school. And we just don't have them. And now everyone wants them, and they're costly to put in. So I think we're really looking at where people are walking you know, I see people every single day walking on the shoulder of Market Street. We see people in motorized vehicles going down, you know, the mid, um, going down the center lane um, in the motorized wheelchairs. You know, all these extremely unsafe conditions constantly that we're seeing. And so I think, you know, really trying to document those. We did a lot of bike and ped counts um, this past summer. And just to see, you know, where people are going. You know, we did uh, Glenwood and 
um, we were going to do Glenwood in, Mar- or, or in 224, and what we realized is it's not there. It's at the Boardman Plaza. There's hundreds of people crossing constantly. And you, know, you start to look at where the stop bars are and our cars paying attention. And, you know, the crosswalks there are really sad. And you try to, you know, get a hold of the county to repaint them. And they say, well, we don't do that. So I think our role really is to, you know, identify where those issues are and kind of be an advocate, especially to the county and state agencies, to say, hey, we as a community want this. You know, we need it for ourselves, our residents. You know, you get to all, how do you get those to, you know, get people to jobs? You know, 224 um, is a huge, you know, retail corridor. So people get to doctor's offices, to jobs, to schools. Um, so I think that, you know, what we've really seen is our role is how do we advocate for, um, you know, getting those. And then we've been doing a lot of planning because unless you have the planning and the community input, you know, you're not going to get funding. So how you get funding, um, and I think really just push for those different projects from a big level on, you know, how do you get, I think in the uh, pies, you know, on the big level would be, you know, a sidewalk along 224, you know, a corridor. On a small scale is how can we at least get the crosswalks restriped in front of schools? So kind of at all levels thinking about how you really make safety a priority. Because if, um, if it's not safe and it's not convenient, people won't do it. Right. Um, and then you have, you know, people that absolutely have to, and it's extremely dangerous. Um, so, I mean, there's a big equity issue and just... I think something that a lot of times the suburbs especially are at fault for just not even thinking about um, because they were sort of built on that car culture. And as we see, you know, the economy and I think just people's interests changing, you know, how do you adapt to that um, is challenging. But that's where I see our role really is trying to help fill in those gaps and with that needed infrastructure and safety. Thank you. Rebecca, before we sat down, you were talking a little bit about where you feel safe as a pedestrian. Do you want to speak to that? Yes, I would love to. Um, I have a lot of experience, at least 10, really over 10 years, but I'm going to focus on the last 10 years. When I went back to YSU and I've been living by town, and um, one of the issues is the bridges. I brought that up in our seminar we went to a couple weeks ago. There are six bridges up here. They're beautiful. But in the winter, they're very dangerous. They're full of ice, snow, and it's not even even ice or snow. It's crunch, I call it crunchy, uneven. So I always have to decide, am I going to try to walk on top of that and, and literally hold on to the chain link fence and pray I don't slide off or walk in the street and risk getting hit by a car? It's a real dilemma. Um, now, there are some efforts being made and some changes. As you were saying, Justin, a couple years ago, they totally redid Lincoln Avenue. It is night and day. I lit, uh, about probably six years ago, I almost got hit. I was on my way to co-facilitate a class at YSU while I was still in my undergrad. I crossed at the, you know, the proper crossing. And the young lady, I don't know if she was on her phone or just distracted, but she came so close to hitting me. And I was just shaking. It was a terrible experience. And many times I'll just, if I see cars going, I'll just keep, I'll be like, no, you go ahead, go, go. And it's much better since they redid Lincoln Avenue. They put in a few extra little stops, some brick, even just like they changed it in appearance. There's like little brickwork now. It is night and day. It's so much better. And I laughingly said a couple weeks ago, I love this Fifth Avenue work because for the first time in 10 years, I can cross without 
feeling like literally my life is in danger. And you know, back in 2011, I went to Gamaliel training and we learned about self-interest and how you get connected and you, you make these moves and you get these corporations and companies and organizations to see what they get out of it. And going back to what you were saying, 224, that's one of the main areas I, I really think twice. I like to go to Raphael's every now and then because I like to support students. But I literally think twice, hmm, do I want to make that risky walk today? And so those are some of the things. And even like um, I do a lot of work with Bridges Out of Poverty, and we try to help educate people about different scenarios. And, you know, once again, the, the issue of, let's say, a, a young parent has a child and then a couple bags of groceries that just all there's so many different denominators or variables you know when they plow um, parking lots they do a wonderful job for cars WRTA lets you off you got to get off there might be this much snow so I'm really enjoying the summertime you know not <laughs> right now but I'm kind of well, <laughs> preparing really, myself thank you and you've you really brought up a lot of good points about quality of life yes. um, and Doris I wondered if you could speak to the benefits of the, to quality of life of having uh, a good infrastructure walkable infrastructure and I look at our areas getting older. And there's not a lot of younger people moving in the area. So with that said, with us getting older, how are we going to get around? So if we're not able to drive or we have to walk, that was one of the nice things I liked about the signs being put out up and down in through the Youngstown area on the north side and downtown was that people would be able to find different places. If they walk and they, if they have a phone, they can scan and tell where you're at. Those are all things that are going to be beneficial for someone who wants to continue to stay healthy. As a personal trainer, on the other hand, I see that if we don't walk, as as Americans, we're very lazy. We don't walk. We get in our car to go across the street to get whatever we need instead of walking across the street and so we're becoming weaker. So by doing that, we're doing, not doing our bodies justice by walking and, and actually developing more muscles and, and becoming stronger. So I see that if we don't continue to work on our, our um, sidewalks and keeping our bodies strong by using our own muscles, then we're going we're gonna to lose it. I think you're all making such a good point about culture, too. I mean, I know that I've been out walking around and people have stopped to say, what's wrong? You must need a ride. (laughs) I'm actually just walking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we talked a little, touched on this incredible exhibit, and I was wondering if any of you have any more thoughts about the role that arts might play um, in this discussion. I do. I love the one with the Legos. I met somebody in, in Warren in a couple of weeks ago, and they were like, I can't wait. My friend did that exhibit, and there was her child. So it's even showing it from a child's point of view. But sometimes when you hear people comment, why are they walking in the streets? Literally, it's sometimes because the sidewalk is so broken up. It's safer to be in the street. Mm-hmm. And this is helping to draw attention. And I love that these are local from Sharon, PA, Warren, Ohio, and Youngstown, Ohio. Mm-hmm. And
And these are not stock photos from another place. This is where we live. Have you seen some models of using the arts and infrastructure that you think might work here? I know one thing that's caught my eye is the creative crosswalks where artists design the the crosswalks so you're really engaging. But as Rebecca said, it's easier to walk across the street if if it looks different. We've been working to try to do um, creative crosswalks. So, you know, not just your standard two lines, but look at, you know, in front of a school, whether it's crayons, so it's brightly colors, or different things that it could be neighborhood branding. Um, you know, the handles neighborhood. You could have ice cream cones, yeah. you know, going across instead of just true. lines. Um, you know, so it could be fun and whimsical. It could have, I think, more of a, a, a cultural purpose. Um, but, you know, just something that, you know, use, you know, something that helps people and keep it safe. But that also provides, you know, a benefit, even whether it's fun or whether it's, you know, um, defining a, a community or a space. But I think just looking at ways that, yeah, you can use art, but also to make, you know, places, but then also make those places safer. And I think there's an in- a deeper in maybe investment maybe in among the community when there's a high density of art. I mean, a few mm-hmm. this spring we had art on buses and they became a little bit more visible suddenly, right? Would those of you who are involved please talk about a little bit more about the Community Foundation of the Mahoning Valley Healthy Community Partnerships? So it seems like an idea that health isn't just a siloed issue, but it crosses everywhere. Right, so that's bringing in a lot of cross pollination. Would any of you like to talk about that? Some of the things that are going on with that initiative? Yeah, sure. Uh, kind of from our perspective, uh, being in the rooms with the different healthy community partnership uh, committees allows us to engage with partners that we've never really had conversations with before, whether that's the health departments and kind of figuring out how we could share services and data and figure out new ways to accomplish things. Um, you know, I, I hear it all the time uh, when I go to the meetings, and it's such a great revelation that you never really thought about. You knew that you didn't interact with these people, and you knew that they were out there doing their work, but you didn't really know what the opportunity was to kind of improve on what you're doing uh, by working together and kind of having that system set up and established is is a great place for, you know, especially us on the, the public side to kind of get together and really come up with some new creative ideas. I would also maybe put you in the hot seat again, Justin, if sure. you would be willing to talk about the Smart 2 federal grant, including the complete street enhancement. Yeah, so the Youngstown Smart 2 network uh, is a project that's occurring in downtown Youngstown. Uh, It was applied to uh, the U.S. Department of Transportation's uh, BUILD grant program. Uh, So what the federal government does is they set aside a pot of money that local communities can apply to uh, for uh, basically infrastructure projects that meet a certain set of criteria. Uh, So a team was assembled locally. We put together a project idea and submitted it, uh, and it was successful. So it's a $26 million project. Um, that's going to drop all of that funding right on downtown Youngstown. Uh, the core of that project is Fifth Avenue, uh, kind of running from the Red Bridge, the Spring Commons Bridge, all the way north up to kind of Stambaugh Auditorium. Um, it includes a lot of the downtown streets, uh, Park Avenue going over to Mercy Health, uh, I think Rayon Avenue heading out towards the Chilcan plant, uh, Commerce, Federal, and Front Street, as well as Phelps. 
Uh, so we're looking at uh, ways that we can redesign these streets. So our area has seen 70 years of population loss. Uh, so we were built for capacity that is much larger than what we currently have. So now rethinking with the modern day in, in mind, how do we build this to function for the people that are here? Uh, so we're looking through road diet options. So, so what that means is Fifth Avenue is currently five, sometimes six lanes in certain segments. Uh, how can we pare that down to make it easier for pedestrians that need to cross, especially around the campus? Uh, you've got a ton of pedestrian activity there, uh, especially up by the stadium. Uh, and it takes forever to cross the street. Uh, the pedestrian timings aren't really all that long that allow you. And uh, if you need a personal assistive device to get across the street, there's no way you're making it before uh, that light turns green. And, and it's, it can be a stressful situation. So by narrowing the street, bringing, bringing those lanes in, it's going to make it easier. Uh, looking at some transit improvements, whether that's bus pull-offs for drop-offs uh, so that uh, WRTA users uh, have a safer place to kind of catch the bus. Um, bike and ped improvements uh, with you know new high visibility crosswalks. Um, looking at some options for specified bike uh, infrastructure, like you know bidirectional cycle tracks or uh, you know specific separated bike lanes. Uh, really, just to make the downtown a little more usable for more people. Um, and the, the biggest goal, I think, goes back to the earlier comments on safety. Uh, you know, how can we make the streets more safe? Can we slow the traffic down? You know, it's a downtown area. There's no reason you need to be driving 40 miles an hour through some of these streets. Uh, that's going to help a lot. And with these three new apartment buildings, two university edges and the enclave, and now the foundation has started for the lofts, in 10 years I've seen way, I have way more neighbors who are active and they're walking, they're running, they're biking, they're walking their dogs. And it's a beautiful thing. So I think, once again, it'll be a win-win process. Parents are here right now this week dropping their children off. School starts Monday. They want to see safe, clearly lit things and, and processes. They look at all of that. Believe me, I hear the conversations. And as a parent, I would too. So I think it's very beautiful and beneficial. I think one theme that is running through our conversation is the way the community is changing and maybe having to do with our idiosyncratic circumstances, but also some larger pressures that are being put on us from the outside. So what kind of changes or trends do any of you see that will help us think about the future of, of this kind of infrastructure? Well, I think from uh, one perspective, you know, you do see an aging population. You know, we're changing how we get places, how we shop, you know, how we get to the doctor. But also, you know, just from Boardman's example, you know, it's sort of the suburban model of growth. And now you're seeing, you know, it's starting to shrink or kind of stabilize. And, you know, people don't want those. They don't want to have to drive everywhere. They don't want to be reliant on a car, which is really expensive, you know, and you may have one car in a household if you're lucky, and then it just makes it hard to get to jobs and work. So I think looking at, you know, how society is changing from an economic perspective, but also just from a, you know, a needs and wants. Um, you know, you see places that are more of those lifestyle type centers where, you know, you can park and you can have a cup of coffee and meet someone. Um, and you're not, like you said, getting in your car to go across the street or getting in your car to go to the bike path. Um, so just how we can really enhance, I think, quality of life, 
you know, we're looking at how you change the land use um, on 224. You know, do you have buildings set way back? So if you get dropped off at the bus, you might still have a quarter mile walk through a parking lot that's full of snow. You know, versus do you have some place that's inviting with lots of sidewalks and a safe way to get you to that business, and then you can walk to the next one um, or to a doctor's appointment. So I think just, you know, looking at um, kind of what those trends are, and I think just that growth and only looking at cars is something that, you know, people don't want, um, even the businesses, you know, that kind of model is, is going, and how do we change so that we're, you know, healthier and safer, I think, moving forward. Becca? A trend I see, too, is with the counting of the steps. So mm-hmm. businesses, organizations, nonprofits are realizing that's a benefit for them, less insurance costs, you know, better health. So I hear employees such as people at YSU talking, did you get your steps today? They're walking more. At lunch, they're walking. You know, they always say parking's a big concern, but I see them walking all over getting those steps in. Mercy Health as well. So it's very important. It's being seen more as a good thing to do, you know. I'm I'm seeing that trend. (laughs) You know that if people get healthier, you're going to lose some business. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. It's a good thing. Don't come to us for questions on what they can stay healthier with. All right. I would like to open the floor to questions now. I think you basically answered a lot of the questions that I have, but especially for Boardman. Um, I'm not picking on you, Boardman, but my son moved. <laughs> my son moved back here a few years ago, and he grew up in Hermitage, Pennsylvania. Well, that's where we lived then. And then he got his master's degree, and then he went on to Germany. Lived in Germany. Lived in Seoul, South Korea. Lived in San Francisco, and then came back here. And he had a real shock because he walked and biked everywhere he went in those cities. And so he went to Boardman for the first time and got figured out the bus. And then he got off the bus, and he was like. I can't walk to anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how feasible is it to be? I know how expensive it must be going to be, but how feasible is it to build some kind of sidewalks from business to business in Boardman? So you don't, like she said, you don't get off the bus and have to mm-hmm. traipse over a pile of snow and then get into a parking lot that's covered with snow. Is it, is it at all feasible? It's feasible, but it's definitely a long-term project. Um, right now, we just did an active transportation plan, which is really looking at, you know, how do you connect bike and sidewalk? So it's looking at those short and really long term. Um, one thing we're doing is requiring businesses when they come in to put in the sidewalk. So that'll be, you know, little chunks at a time. But that's putting it on the business. Um, you know, they put in water and sewer and all these other things. So slowly on 224, you'll get bits of a sidewalk. But, you know, you have to start somewhere. It's kind of, and so you keep filling in. Um, you know, we'll go after bigger federal grants for, you know, those would be the, the mild type projects. Um, you know, one thing that we would love eventually to see is Southern Boulevard. Um, you know, it's so lightly used for rail. You know, if you had that is a great bike and hike trail, you could connect, you know, almost all of Boardman right into downtown. Um, so looking at things like that while also, you know, doing small improvements. You know, how can we make a crosswalk safer um, kind of in the short term? So... I think it's looking at a lot of things. It's definitely a challenge. And I think getting people's mindset, like you said, people used to, you would walk someplace and they would think something was wrong or where you were going or why you're there. And now you just see more and more people doing it um, because they want to. So we're, I think it's a challenge, but you know, over the last couple of years, really looking at, we were starting the process. Um, unfortunately, you know, it'd be nice if they would have done it 20 years ago, but um, so it's feasible, but it's definitely small steps. 
So another change I see is the way we're thinking about um, rain, rainwater infrastructure runoff. And so we're actually changing the physical landscape for that as well. So it seems like walkability goes hand in hand in that. Do you see those initiatives working together? On the, on the development side, you know, a lot of, you know, you see old pictures of boardmen and like where the plaza was. It's literally um, low farmlands that has ponds in it. And so, you know, you put pavement on top of that and then you don't, you know, have any kind of infrastructure. So there's a lot of flooding issues. So I think it really goes hand in hand with how you look at how you redevelop, you know, all the businesses that, you know, are slowly redeveloping so that they're walkable and encourage people to, you know, walk and encourage more community spaces, but you also make sure you put in green infrastructure and look at how that can, you know, hopefully have uh, at least a neutral impact, um, but definitely, you know, improve the stormwater. So it kind of all goes hand in hand, and I think, you know, you look at, you know, like Youngstown with, uh, you know, their new zoning code update and the 2010 plan, and, you know, Boardman's, um, you know, a little bit different, but, you know, really how you tie the land use with looking at, you know, health and equity and walkability and rainwater. Um, all together. Um, was that the Tiger Grant, the $25 million for the... And um, I'm old enough to remember when the big thing to celebrate was the widening of Fifth Avenue. But I am hoping and praying that when it's all done, I'll be happy about that. However, um, what Rebecca pointed out, and I don't think we need $25 million, I think we need a lot of smart people with a little bit of resources, is that you cannot move around this city when it snows. I have experience with Glenwood Avenue. I've been staying um, next to the VA clinic on Belmont Avenue. Who can make it possible without 10 years of planning and $25 million to buy snowplows, give responsibility to people like they put up the signs, I'll pick up trash, I'll snowplow the sidewalk. Because when you see when you see wheelchairs and walkers out in the snow, it'll break your heart. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So maintenance is a huge component to what we're talking about. Um, I know, you know, Rebecca brought it up. It came up when we were talking about uh, the exhibit that's around us. Uh, it's a difficult thing, um, especially for a lot of communities that put the onus on sidewalk maintenance on the property owner. Uh, the municipalities kind of shirk that responsibility and say, you know, it's, it's written up that if you own property adjacent to a sidewalk, it's your responsibility to clear it. It's your responsibility to fix anything that's broken. Uh, and, you know, whether that's right or it's wrong, um, <laughs> you know, that's the, those are certain things that, uh, you know, momentum can get behind and, and can change. Uh, but it all comes down to money and, and resources and staffing levels within the municipalities and, and prioritizing the people that utilize those modes of transportation. And I think that's the biggest thing is we need to be more intentional about who we're doing this work for and, and the results we're seeing from it. One thing that came up, because I went to the seminar a couple of weeks ago and we brought this up in our small group, and then we were trying to figure out, well, who is in charge who's in charge of that part of the sidewalk because I was thinking of just even maybe going to a student government and said hey can we get some groups that say I'll take one side of the bridge going up to CVS you know we don't know legally what you know how that goes so it's it's something food for thought though 
Good evening, I'm Ellen. Uh, Lowell and I were the ones that bicycled to tonight's <laughs> gathering. And we've had many, many years and many, many miles of mostly bicycling in this community, including all the way to Boardman. But I, I want to make just a couple of comments about that and then ask you a question. One is that we really appreciate the improvement on Wick Avenue, for instance, because having what they're called sharrows, those signs on the road, is a reminder not only to us bicyclists that it's legal and appropriate for us to be on that roadway, but also as a constant reminder to the drivers of vehicles that it is a shared space. Um, but also, we live on a river, and there are steep hills that are even a challenge to us who are very experienced bicyclists, let alone all the people who are hoping to or trying to bicycle in this community. And I caution those of you who are in charge of that kind of infrastructure to be aware that a steep grade is not only difficult uphill, but it's very difficult downhill and mixing um, bicycles with pedestrians is generally a risky thing. But I do want to um, point out that what, in our experience in bicycling, a lot of places in the world, when there is a volume of people, many, many more people walking or bicycling, that increases the safety of that activity. And I wonder if those of you in certain areas have ways to actually measure the use and the safety when there is an infrastructure improvement or some other attention paid on the, the bicycling and the uh, pedestrian areas. I know you can probably speak to this too, but I know um, there, there's very little data on you know doing bike ped or bike counts or pedestrian counts, and that's how you really show um, hey people are using this or if you do a project that it's you know making an impact. So I know for us we've tried to do you know start small doing some counts at key locations um, to really start to categorize you know what is happening now and also to see what are the behaviors and then as you know if I'm doing monitoring before and after a project to see the impact. Um, I know there's a lot of pro different programs. Um, Cleveland has one called Critical Mass where they do rides you know and they kind of go through you know a large groups and that's you know partly a group ride but I think it's a great awareness tool. Um, We've done that a little bit with trying to do kind of community walks. It's something I think we'd like to do a lot more of, or you know, would love to get more involved with you and do you know and do a bike ride. You know, if you had forty people going down two twenty four, cars are all going to get over. Versus if you have one person, you know, you're taking your life in your hands. So I think that's a great idea and a great way to maybe get more awareness and then also get more people on the road. Um, but those are kind of the ones that come to mind. Hi, I'm Nicole. Um, so I'm an assistant professor at YSU, and when I'm learning something new or my students are learning something new, or I'm asking them to learn something new, one of the things that we do is we look at case studies. How has something been done, you know, in another place at another time? So I'm hearing about a lot of really cool things. This is an exciting 
time for me to have moved here. And so I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about some of the case studies or examples from other communities that you're looking to as you're thinking about the different kinds of development in this, in this region. Um, I think there's definitely there's a ton of different case studies. Um, you know, you look at places like, you know, Seattle and Portland are the ones that are kind of commonly upheld. And then you hear comments like, well, we're not them. Um, but I think there are a ton of good things that we can learn from places who are doing well. Or you say, well, we have snow. But then you look at places like Chicago and New York. And I think really it comes down to they're prioritizing um, this infrastructure. They're saying that people are important and keeping the sidewalks clear. Or, you know, if you have a bike lane but you don't plow it in the winter, it's pointless. Um, so I think, uh, you know, some of those projects where they've taken a lane for cars and had it for bikes, making sure it's clear. Um, but there's really good case studies in a lot of places. I mean, even Columbus, Ohio, or Cleveland, you see a lot more bike lanes, and you see these kind of citywide plans. And when they even just resurface a road, you know, it could be a matter of just how you stripe it. Um, like you'd mentioned the Sharrows, you know, that's sort of like, you know, the top tier, but maybe you can actually give a lane or you have signage or when you do things kind of keep promoting it. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of good examples locally, um, for how you, you know, Kent state, um, I don't know if you've been to their downtown recently, did a fantastic job when they redeveloped it to really put uh, pedestrians first. You know, you kind of mentioned how long it takes to cross the street, you know, where they have bump outs where it, why it next the road down. So instead of having, you know, four lanes to cross, you only have two. Um, and having, you know, things like just benches um, and different pavement and different art on the street. But things that really cater to a pedestrian environment and make it safer to get around, but also more comfortable and make it a place where people want to be. Um, so I think there's a lot of good examples. That's a great point that show like, hey, it can be done in really terrible winters. Uh, Minneapolis, um, Minnesota is one of, they have a marvelous bike share program. You know, and we say, oh, well, we have winter. Well, you know, you, if Madison, Wisconsin, and Minneapolis have these great systems and they have, you know, thousands of people biking in the winter, you know, I think those are, you know, to kind of look at what are the, the common things here. Well, we have traffic, we have snow, and then look at those places that are doing those well. And I think, you know, kind of borrowing from them. But I think it really comes down to, you know, prioritizing it from, you know, kind of all levels from the local um, government up. You can make your own case studies, too. Uh, there's been a few events locally in, over the past couple of years called Better Blocks, uh, where you try out your own uh, infrastructure to change the physical landscape of the street, to uh, kind of give it yourself a trial period to see if a planned infrastructure project could make a market impact. Uh, so, you know, there's kind of low-cost measures uh, that you could take on your own and kind of... Uh, put those into the field and, and see how it goes before you actually commit the hard dollars to, to making those larger changes. There was also a case study with uh, Walk Youngstown where they actually uh, went to the bigger cities where they were putting the signs up and they found once they put the signs up, people were walking more and they were more involved. So um, hopefully that will help with our area too. Over the last few years, one of the more interesting concepts in active transportation that I've come across is the concept of complete streets. Can anyone on the panel discuss what that is for the crowd and um, talk about some of the barriers we're facing here in our community with complete streets? So, Rebecca, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you just uh, <laughs> attended one of our workshops about complete streets. <laughs> Do you remember? Well, what? of course, I'm drawing a blank, oh, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But complete streets just means streets that are designed for all users. Um, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to include a protected bike lane or, you know, 15-foot sidewalks, but can all users use all modes of transportation when navigating the street system? Uh, so that's really what's important. Uh, if, if you've got low traffic volume and low uh, speeds on the street, you may not need that separated facility for bikes. They can mix in traffic and be perfectly safe. Um, as long as you're, you know, being mindful of the fact of different abilities and different users... Uh, but complete streets can come in a multitude of uh, styles and, and designs, uh, but it's all about that intent and intentionality and making sure you're designing it with uh, the, the basic user at hand. And if I remember, some things might be like the countdown signal, mm -hmm. so you can hear it versus seeing it. You hear it and see it. And I did notice that by Williamson's uh, College of Business because that was a really worrisome crossing where many, many students cross there, and like a block away, there's the cross light, the flashing lights, but most people just ignore that. You'll get a lot of times when you're trying to cross on that section, one, one person in the one lane will stop, but the other one keeps going. So I have noticed a big difference with that, where you push and you get the, t the countdown, okay, 10, 9, 8, mm -hmm. 7. So that's mm -hmm. beautiful, and that really works, and it's, it may be a small thing, but it is effective. You talk about how to th how we think about children um, using infrastructure and how we can improve. I know that there there have been some safe routes to school initiatives. Um, anything else you all can think of, or can anyone t speak to safe routes to school? Yeah, safe routes to school is a really good program. Um, it's put on by. Ohio Department of Transportation, but it gives funding specifically for schools. So K through eight schools, um, it looks at its infrastructure and education. So I know Youngstown has received four different safe routes to school grants. Um, I think they're at almost, they're over a million dollars. Taft Elementary has a really good plan, but you know, looking at doing all the sidewalks around it, doing a lot of education with the kids um, to get there, doing walking school buses, um, which we did our first one, um, that we use their little cardboard walking school board cutout. But looking at, you know, how you get, you know, we had kids, um, we had, you know, two spots where you met designated. We sent flyers home with kids, and then we just walked the half a mile in large groups. And I know we didn't expect anyone to come, and I think we had over 60 kids, um, you know, in places where they said in Boardman, you know, they'll never walk. So if you give someone an opportunity and make it safe. But I think, you know, really targeting the schools, um, and not just to get kids to schools, but after program activities or just kind of a safe place, um, you know, that's a really good program to get 100% money. But, you know, we look at, you know, kids, your neighborhood, just making sure the neighborhoods, you have a safe place to, you know, go out that you feel comfortable, um, you know, letting your kids, you know, use the, you know, having a sidewalk versus, you know, in the street. I helped hang up some of the signs and with Mr. Kingley Oliver, my council person, and some other awesome people, Sarah, and we had fun. It was fun hanging up some of those little signs. Go downtown and look for them. They're around campus downtown and uh, like Elm Street area. And they're like this big. But you know what? We hung them up Friday. Last night I was downtown for the end of 1619, the festival downtown. And I was so, my heart just leaped for joy when I saw two young men walking by, stopped at that one by the double tree, took out the phone. So there's a little QR code at the bottom. Kids, and I caused college student kids to 
They love technology. So that's what you do. You, you look at the things they like, and you're educating them at the same time. So they pulled out their phone, read it, and who knows? Maybe they made plans for it tomorrow. Let's go find this spot. <laughs> so I like that. You know, like sometimes it can be those little seemingly little touches, but they really work. And that, again, that's cultural, right? I remember my Italian friend telling me he was going to invent a car for Americans that went from the kitchen to the living room. <laughs> and he was going to be very, very rich. <laughs> Doris, what were you going to say? Okay. I was agreeing with Rebecca on the, on the codes, um, on the signs. Those are really neat. And then people should take advantage of them. Because if you scan your phone on there, you actually tell you seven minutes or whatever to wherever you want to go. So mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, really a great opportunity. It's a great way of re- remapping, right? Doing a whole yeah. psychological reconfiguration mm-hmm. of, of our community. Uh, one of the great things about all these projects that are occurring right now is we're finding new languages to reach people about this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everybody speaks the same way. Not everybody, everybody has the same interests. So whether you're out walking and you see the signs and you're you know, kind of tech-oriented, you could pull up the map on your phone. Uh, or if you're more art-oriented and you come down here and you see the issues, it's, it's just finding a different way to get that across to more people. Um, and I think you know, we're starting to see some traction get gained where more people are talking about uh, walkability and, and being able to see your place in a different way. So Rebecca mentioned community organizer training. And before I ever thought I would be standing here talking to you working at a foundation <laughs> on an initiative about health, an initiative about health Um, I went through community leadership training and learned that when you have this many people in a room, you never leave without giving them a call to action. So if you are going to leave this group with something that they themselves can do, they can make some kind of change, have a discussion, take action, what do you think that they should do? Walking works. I mean, if you're looking at it for a health reason... My numbers, my numbers are good, cholesterol, blood pressure, everything. I was a gestational diabetic twice and have other risk factors due to my family. My A1C is good every year. I attribute that to walking. Um, so maybe just get a friend and say, let's walk down this new path they made. There's a dedication coming up, I believe, next Monday for that new path on the south side. And I, I'm planning on going to that Monday night. So sometimes people want to do things, but the one thing I notice, a lot of people don't like to do something alone. So maybe that would be my call to action. I'm going to invite somebody to come with me. Invite somebody to come with you or say, hey, did you know there's this new push in Ohio for active transportation? And they're like, active transportation? What's that? What's that include? So things like that. I would also say let your local leaders know that it's important. Because I know... Um, you know, if there's a couple people, you know, pushing it, you know, they don't really listen. If they have 100 people at a meeting saying this is important, then they listen. So, you know, just really making sure whether it's through attending things, through letters, through getting out there, just making sure that, you know, your elected officials know that it's important um, and know that, you know, spending money and time and resources, um, you know, it's a priority for you and for their um, residents. Yeah, I'll echo that. Um, get to know your council people. Get to know your township trustees. Uh, go to your neighborhood meetings. Um, also, 
at our organization, we have what's called a citizens advisory board. Uh, come to those meetings. Those are monthly. Um, and those are really your opportunities to get engaged and have your voice be heard and, and uh, get those opinions and, and ideas into the, the workflows and, and really kind of push the issue. I, I think the other thing is publicly when you're talking about how you're getting to places, be proud that you walk somewhere. Just kind of be nonchalantly cool with it. Like, hey, yeah, I, I took the bus to the farmer's market today. And, you know, maybe people look at you strange and you're like, oh, you rode the bus? But, you know, that may be their first reaction. And then when they see you do it again, they're like, oh, yeah, you took the bus today. And then a couple weeks from now, they'll tell you that they took the bus. So, like, it's just this normalization aspect of it where if we start talking about it in a more real way, I think it becomes more commonplace and easier for people to grasp onto. And, and you can kind of break that cultural gridlock of car culture. My thought is that everyone should get out and walk and then take advantage of the signs that we have out there. There are different postings. Um, we're planning on looking at doing some walking groups uh, with the Walk Youngstown. If you can't get out to that, you can always come to the Stepping Out programs and take advantage of the walking that we have and the Zumba and the line dancing, all the programs that we have. You can also take advantage of um, just going for a little stroll on your own and call your neighbor up and say, hey, let's do this, and take some pictures of the sidewalks and send them out and post it. <laughs> okay. What happens uh, with code enforcement of sidewalks? So if... Um if there's a terrible sidewalk on my street, what should I do about that? And then what happens? Unfortunately, that, you know, that maintenance aspect is really one of, I think, the tricky things. Um, like it was mentioned, it gets the local communities tend to push it on the property owners. So if you would call our office, you know, everyone says, oh, well, it's your responsibility. Well, um, you know, replacing that sidewalk could be several thousand dollars, which, you know, when you've got a lot of other issues, you know, that's the least priority. Um, so code enforcement of them is very tricky. Um, you know, the township kind of answer and, you know, what unfortunately is just, it, it is really money, is how much, you know, do you do a new sidewalk versus fix an old one? Um, you know, or do you patch potholes that people are, you know, complaining about versus, so it's always those priorities. Um, but sidewalk maintenance right now, really, it tends to be pushed on the homeowner and then, you know, it kind of falls from there because no one's going to go after the homeowner to spend that money to do it. Um, but so I think it's definitely something that needs addressed better. And right now I don't know a great solution for it. But um, I think it's really important. Can force a business owner to put in a sidewalk? We're going to start doing that with new projects. It mm -hmm. requires the businesses to do it. On the business end, it's easier because, you know, telling Arby's that they have to spend $20,000 is a lot easier than, um, you know, uh, single mother um you know so i think starting with the businesses and those corridors and those are the ones that really affect everyone um neighborhood streets at least tend to be a little slower and safer to begin with so that's kind of where we're starting there's whole blocks with not a house on it so you can't ask i mean i know somebody owns them the lots but you know, sometimes you don't even know who or you know they're not even around here so and but people walk on those blocks that don't have any houses on them to get from one place to another. So, I, don't, I mean, she talked before about getting, 
you know, I know downtown here they have those little sidewalk plows and stuff, and I mean, I know that's everything I say, I know it's expensive, but you know, if there was some way to get some of those blocks that have no houses so the owner can't go out and shovel their sidewalk, is there any way that you can, can do that to get one or three, four, five people that have those little plows and get up and down the streets? I don't know. People are always looking for jobs, so maybe that could be a job. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there might be a lot of different creative ideas, um, whether it's, you know, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, getting younger, you know, found, you know, support somewhere that would help, you know, employ younger people to, you know, do that even for, you know, um, temporarily, whether it's to, you know, clear them from the grass and overgrowth or shovel them in the winter. Um, so I think there's a lot of different avenues to do it, um, but looking at how you pursue that. Just conversely, one real success story that that I'm I know about is um, is Colonial Avenue in Liberty, which used to have a lot of people out in the street and wheelchairs and canes and strollers, and they put in a sidewalk the whole length of that, and that's just just so much safer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we talked a little bit about Dan. Very vague question. Uh, how much does it cost per slab of sidewalk? So let's say you came back and you said earlier about the businesses and the area wanting to give or require them to. So what if you were a proactive business that said, what would it cost to replace a sidewalk in front of your business? Mine are perfect, but, uh, <laughs> you know, what would it cost? We were looking at Afton Avenue as part of our Safe Routes to School plan. Um, I think we were looking to do about half a mile, and it was um, a couple hundred thousand. Um, so I forget, yeah, like kind of, I think you said about $150 a linear foot. But, you know, you're looking at to do a mile. You know, it could easily be half a million dollars if you have to do utilities. And so, unfortunately, it's huge amounts of money. And so that's why local communities really can't do it. And... Um, Having your local partners, you know, prioritize those improvements, you know, when bigger projects are done on roads, I think is really important. So, yeah, if we still have a couple seconds here, uh, talking about money. So at Eastgate, we have a pot of money called Transportation Alternatives Program. So we take half a million dollars a year off the top of our federal funding that comes into our agency and set that, that aside for specifically pedestrian and bike projects. Uh, so that's a biennial program. So every other year we go up, there's about a million dollars available for that program, and we can fund three to four sidewalk jobs. So it doesn't go far. Um, so that's just one of those issues. And, and the funding that you know we can provide through that program to the local community is 80% funding. So if you come in with a project that's $100,000, we can give you 80000 and you'd have to cover that last twenty. Uh, so that just, you know, is another barrier for local communities that don't typically have that revenue source to put into projects like that. Uh, just kind of showing how difficult that can be to really make up the ground and, and gain a lot of sidewalk coverage. We'd like to thank you all so very much for coming this evening. Thank our panelists and our audience members, and thank you for listening at home.